Hi, I'm your host, Michael Gilbo, here to let you know about a new and innovative theater major, the BA in Theater and Business Arts at the University of Providence. Get the education and experience you need as a theater artist and the business acumen to succeed in your career. Visit BroadwayBullet.com and stay tuned to the end of the program for more info. Now, enjoy the show. Well, I wouldn't want it to be too perfect every night. It is live after all. It is live. Welcome to Broadway Bullet, Volume 115. I'm your host, Michael Gilbo. And as I'm cutting this, oh, what a week. Just yesterday, all the Tony nominations came out. Uh, Today, yep, yours truly was indeed invited to be Tony Press. So this episode is jam-packed. Yep, that's the word, jam-packed. Get ready for a roller coaster ride. We've got uh, interview segments with 10 of the Tony nominees right here in this episode. Um, I'll explain why further, but there's a lot more. We're going to have a special bonus episode that should be going up. If it's not already up, it will be up very soon. Uh, It'll be listed in a secondary position, so you'll have to manually go get it, most of you. But that is going to be all the more or less unedited information and interviews I got from the Tony Press Conference today. Oh my, I am so fried. It was, uh... I'll tell you more in a little bit. So we got, uh, yeah, we got tons of stars. You're going to be hearing today, you're going to hear from uh, Audra McDonald, Bill T. Jones, Christopher Plummer, David Hyde Pierce, Duncan Sheik, Gavin Lee, Laura Bell Bundy, Liev Schreiber, Orpha, and Raul Esparza. Did I say jam-packed? If that's not enough, we've also got the musical from Gayfest NYC, A Kiss from Alexander, along with two exclusive in-studio performances. We're going to be talking with the director and writer of The Chronological Secrets of Tim. We have got uh, Carrie Curran from Carrie from the Cock here with a couple songs from the show as well. And uh, Marty Cooper has a very special guest for On the Positive Side as he discusses the Tony nominations. So uh, what are we waiting for? I said it was jam-packed. Let's kick in with a little something before we get to the Tony coverage. On the boards. The first uh, annual, we suppose, Gay Fest Playfest in New York City <laughs> is underway, and out of the two stage readings, two plays, we have the one and only musical from the festival here yes. with us today, represented by composer and musical director Brad Simmons, as well as actors Craig Ramsey and Jeremiah James. How are you guys doing? Great. Hi. Thanks for having us. Yeah. Now, uh, you're going to perform for us, too, so... Uh, Get ready. (laughs) Warming up. You got it. Now, I guess before we talk about specifically A Kiss from Alexander, I'd kind of like your thoughts on why Gay Fest NYC. I think a lot of people would... Oh. uh, Why come to Gay Fest NYC? Well, I guess from your perspective, why did you want to premiere your show on Gay Fest? Well, we were working with uh, a producer, Dennis Grimaldi, uh, with my writing partner, Stephen DeGelder, and we were trying to find the, the right venue for this particular piece. Uh, we thought about getting into the to the Nymph Festival and <clears throat> what's the what are the other festivals? The Fringe Festival, Fringe Festival, yeah. and all that. And he was talking with uh, Jack Batman, who was one of the producers for Gay Fest, and he said, "Well, you know, your show's gay, so <laughs> why not premiere it with us?" So we waited, we waited until this this summer festival, and here we are. <laughs> and how did the two of you get involved in this? 
Um, I was lucky enough. Uh, my agent actually called me and said, you know, would you be interested uh, in in this festival? It's a very, it's going to be very fun, very silly, like romp of a show. And uh, I was just lucky enough to uh, ask to be a part of it after auditioning and uh, after a couple of callbacks. So here I am. Just feel real lucky to be here. And Craig? Myself, I've I've been on Broadway for the last uh, five or six years, and those type of contracts. And uh, as a Canadian citizen, with my recent green card uh, being approved last year, and and having that, I've wanted to do some showcase material, some readings, some workshops, things that I feel like I skipped in this city, and was lucky enough to get to to the Broadway stage. And I'm kind of backtracking and doing uh, th- that type of work right now, and this is a perfect uh, piece for me to do. So, what now, what is A Kiss from Alexander about? Well, first, it's a show within a show. So, Nick Matthews, played by Jeremy Jeremiah James, uh, is the writer and director for this show called Alexander Was Great. And it's this campy, over-the-top gay musical. Uh, his last attempt at writing another uh, off-off-Broadway musical. And... Um, and so he's decided to write this, uh, like I said, a very campy show, um, f- feminizing Alexander the Great. And this summons Alexander from the sands of Egypt. He wakens and he, uh, you know, he, he has to smite the infidel. And uh, so he's granted from the gods an opportunity to come to the earth for two weeks. As a mortal. As a mortal. And... Uh, and he's given the talents of voice and dance and of uh, acting instead of with sword and shield to smite this infidel. And in the process, uh, a love affair happens. Okay. I mean, I don't want to give away everything. Yeah. But, you know, it's just it's it's just an it's an absolute blast. I mean, the show is just very very fun. It, uh, the the show within a show is is so silly and and so ridiculous. You you will you will laugh your butt off. I mean, it is just it's an absolute blast of a show to watch. Mm-hmm. Well, maybe we should uh, hear the first song from the show. Yeah. Would you would you want to sing here, Jeremiah? Yeah, that'd be great. And uh, Brad, you're gonna play it for them, right? Yes. And the song is the title song. The title song, "A Kiss from Alexander." A kiss from Alexander Is all I ever wanted A kiss upon the cheek A kiss upon the hand A kiss from Alexander You see before you now A man who's barely tried so far denied that perfect happiness if he'd feel a kiss from Alexander that's all I ever needed my life would be complete my heart would understand a kiss from Alexander is this a wasted life For the sweetest and dearest of dreams A kiss from Alexander One kiss from Alexander A kiss from Alexander Impossible as it seems 
you said you've been considering where you wanted to shop this, you know, to premiere this. How long have you been developing this show? We actually wrote the show about three about three years ago, and we premiered. The world premiere was in Chicago, so uh, at the Bailiwick Theater there, and it. Uh, had an extent had actually two extensions. It was well received there. We were, we had four uh, Jeff Award nominations for best musical. So we were like, well, wow, what's the next step? Take it to New York, get some good press, get an off Broadway off Broadway run. You know, mm-hmm. have it seen here. Have yeah. it seen here. Definitely. Yeah. How large is the cast you're you're working with on the show? Nine nine guys. <laughs> Nine guys in a play at Gay Fest. Is, uh, are there some straight ones who didn't know what they got into? They yeah. knew what they were getting into. Yeah, they <laughs> knew what we were getting into. Yeah. <laughs> it's yeah. worth it. It's, it, it, it's, it's that's a loaded question. Yeah, absolutely. But it, it is. It is absolutely. It's wor- you know, very worth it. And for the, for those, it's it's acting, and that's what uh-huh. it's about. Yeah. And, and taking great material. It's very seldom that you get amazing material on paper, and this is what this show is. The first time I read it, extremely impressed, and uh, that's what sparked my interest to do well, it. Thank you, Craig. Absolutely. You're welcome. Absolutely. Sweetie pie. Very, very true. Well, Craig, you want to do your number now for us? Uh, okay. Yeah, yeah, but it's a yeah. comedy number. It's a comedy. Yeah. It's very it's funny. It's a comedy number, and he's yeah. choosing. Yeah, this is a part where Alexander's having to choose between Hephaestion, the top, or Bagoas, the eunuch, who is the bottom, right? So Obviously. Clearly. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and he's stuck in the middle, and yeah. it's. Uh, uh, literally. wouldn't say he was stuck necessarily. <laughs> right. <laughs> I think he so chooses to be in, in the that middle. position. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and right. hit it. Hephaestion, Bagoas. Hephaestion, Bagoas. Heads, Hephaestion, tails, Bagoas. Every night, the same old plot. Who spends the night with me and who does not? Who's in the cooler and who gets hot? What's a fella to do? Every night, a coin I flip. Who gets my lovin' and who gets zip? Who's playing solitaire and who plays strip? What's a fella to do? I constantly waver. Which one will I favor? For when I taste the one's embrace, I crave the other flavor. Every night I have to scrimp. One goes to heaven and one goes limp. One's a leviathan and one's a shrimp. I'm in a stew. What's a cocky? Now, Craig, uh, I understand that you were in what's possibly the longest-running Broadway gay musical. Yeah, which one? <laughs> yeah, uh, Cats, Mamma Mia, <laughs> name it. Oh, I didn't even know you were in Mama Cats. Mia. You well, were I, I still say that Mamma Mia is the gayest musical on Broadway right now. That's, yeah, yeah. <laughs> it's definitely yeah the gayest backdrop even. Queen, <laughs> yeah, but. Uh, it, it is because I think ABBA is so popular with the gay community. Have you seen the commercials for I'm Mama in the Mia? commercials for <laughs> Mamma Mia. <Yeah. laughs> the main thing is it's a colorful show. It's a real bright, yeah. energetic, you know. Which is a great thing. When we were on tour uh, pre-Broadway in San Francisco, I remember there was a drag queen convention there. Mm. And they all came to see the show. And I, I've never had a funner night in the theater. Yeah. There's so much love. That and and respect that those people gave us in re, in return. Oh yeah, oh, yeah. yeah. gosh, 
We it, it was the energy was fantastic, and night after night with that show, it was, and I I predict the similar thing with this show. Oh, absolutely. Uh, I like, think so too. I think it, it's, it's so, so warm hearted that uh, it will be well received. Gay, straight, whatever. It doesn't it doesn't matter. It, yeah. Comedy is comedy, and they nail it here. I've heard some people recently in the media lamenting that that the gay play was dead because of like Showtime mm-hmm. and HBO was causing it so that people could stay at home and be comfortable with getting their gay entertainment right. and not have right. to go the L word and such, yeah. seek it. Um, do you think that's a lot of why the Gay Fest came into play? Um, so much uh, Broadway work is, is gay-themed anyway. Yeah. Now it's pretty much, uh, which is, I think, fantastic, that nearly every venue that you have um, with TV, film, um, uh, Broadway shows... It's now play. opening to that. Yeah, and it has a, a, a gay representative in there. And I think that we've moved from having, like, Will and Grace, the Jack uh, huge stereotype, to, to expanding that. And, I mean, you have here in this show Alexander um, being upset that this is the way his image was being portrayed and going back to fix that. It doesn't really need fixing. Everyone should, should be comfortable with who they are. And I think that's what he wants to portray, that he needs to be... Uh, be comfortable and be and show that this is who he is. And I think Gay Fest also came up because it's a it's a really wonderful platform for people to be able to show small pieces, things that wouldn't necessarily have a mainstream shot um, all the time. Not that uh, actually, Kiss from Alexander, in my opinion, is something as, as Craig was just saying that actually does have a shot at at really opening up to a broad audience. But there, I think this also gives uh, smaller pieces, things as you said in Gay Fest. Of course, we're doing readings, and there are a couple other plays. You know that just uh, th- this is a nice, really nice platform. A lot like the Fringe festival for for people to try out their work to be promoted to have people come and see you producers directors etc and maybe to have uh, you know some of these smaller uh, more unknown writers uh, in the gay community really give them a platform to get their material out there you know um, wherein you know unlike a Kiss from Alexander which actually did a really wonderful world premiere and we're the only you know musical in the show um, and it, of course, has had press and whatnot from the past. Uh, I think uh, the other shows like Revolution and stuff are a little bit on the smaller side. I mean, this is really, Gay Fest is giving them the opportunity to be heard. Mm-hmm. So Kiss from Alexander runs from May 24th to June, shex- uh, to June 2nd? Yes. And where can they get tickets? Uh, you can go to gayfestnyc.com or... Wow, I didn't prepare for this. <laughs> <laughs> we'll get it up on the website. Yeah, website. Call yeah. me. Call me. Call me. <laughs> we'll, give you, we'll give you Brad's number at the end yeah. of the segment. <laughs> oh, six, four, six. Blah, blah, blah. Well, thanks for coming down and chatting with us. In your, thanks for having I us. I know this Thank has to be so a hell, hellish week for you getting ready for uh, the Well, it is. Production. It is. It's, it's going to be great. No, but we thank you for taking the time. Yeah. Thanks thank for coming you. down. Top of the Trades. Our regular Top of the Trades is preempted this week by uh, the news that everybody's buzzing about, the Tony nominations. Uh, you can go online a lot of places to find the complete list of nominations, but yours truly was invited to be Tony Press, and uh, just today, as a matter of fact, I was invited to the Tony Award Press Clusterfuck. I think that's what they should call the original title. Uh, just to give you a little backstage info on the whole thing, it's I was at a table with a bunch of radio people, and it was kind of like a press conference thing. Except for there was no organization. It was all of us just fighting to try to get our question in and get our mic in front of the person. I used a clip-on <laughs> that I had 
Thank you, Assistant Victoria Myers, our intern, for helping make sure the clip-on got on to everybody. Hence, you hear the person pretty well, but not necessarily always me or whoever's asking the question. In any case, we've got a fast fire of minute-long segments from 10 amazing people right here. But if you're into any of this, and I do apologize, the sound quality is not what you're accustomed to here with Broadway Bullet. But, hey, that's what the Tony Press Banquet clusterfuck is. <laughs> It's all about. So uh, is access, not sound quality. But if you do want to find more information on uh, and more from any of the people you're hearing from, we do have a special Tony Press Clusterfuck episode, which will be listed second in the feed right behind this one. Um, it might not be up right away, but if it's not, it'll be up very soon. And that's going to be more or less unedited everything we interviewed with all the people that are following and more. I'll tell you more after we get to our first person. My name is Audra McDonald. Um, I've been nominated for, um, uh, what have I been nominated for? Yeah, Tony Award for Lead Actress in a Musical, and uh, I play Lizzie Curry in a more content of the show. It's a very competitive field this year. Yeah. Personally, who do you feel was most overlooked in not even getting a nomination this year? In not even getting a nomination this year? Well, that's hard for me to say because I've been out of town this whole year, so I haven't seen any of the shows. <laughs> you know, I just, sometimes I wish that we didn't have to have nominations or anything like that. If we could just have the Tony Awards be a big night where you celebrate Broadway and everybody gets to get up and do their show and just celebrate each of the shows. But um, I haven't seen any of the shows, so I can't say that someone's been overlooked or not because I haven't seen them all. I haven't seen any of them. <laughs> oh, lots of friends. You know, Christine and Donna. Donna Murphy. I mean, Donna Murphy was the first person who knew I was pregnant. You know, she was the first person who found out. And uh, Deborah Monk. And, uh, you know, so, yeah, it's just going to be a love fest as far as I'm concerned. We're just all happy to see each other and happy for each other. Well, thanks so much. And I'm David Hyde Pierce, and I'm in Curtains, and I'm nominated for a leading actor in a musical. I think people are so surprised to come to a show and just have basically unalloyed joy for two and a half hours. It's a, and it's a smart show. It's not, it's not uh, simple. It's just really great music uh, and such a good time. And it's a, it's a kind of show that doesn't get done that often anymore. And I think people are just thrilled. It's almost like they're taken away from all their troubles, taken back to another era, and uh, go out singing and dancing. You don't see a lot of ensemble musicals like this anymore. I think both the way uh, Scott cast the show and the way he directed the show, uh, it's a bunch of people all depending on each other. All the actors were all there for each other, uh, all working moment to moment. It's not people just standing and delivering their lines. So that's really what makes it an ensemble, is everyone is uh, tossing the ball back and forth. Thank you so much. Thank you guys. Thank you. Hello, I'm Bill T. Jones. I am the choreographer for Spring Awakening nominated for a Tony Award. What was your inspiration for the choreography behind Totally Fucked? Oh, it's funny. You're allowed to say that, huh? On, wow. my, on my show. Totally yeah. Fucked. <laughs> well, uh, Totally Fucked, first of all, when I saw the name on the page, I had to laugh. I couldn't believe they're going to get away with this. But um, it was an attitude that many youth have that, you know, mom and dad and everybody couldn't possibly understand me. And life is just so hard, and I just feel totally messed up, totally fucked. So we made a very precise series of gestures that moved through the whole piece. And here, we gave everyone the opportunity to do the gestures in any order they wanted, but as fast and as kick-ass as they could. And I said, I want you to shout this thing as if you were talking to a teacher that you hated or what have you, and I want you to shout it with your body as well as your voice. 
and boy did they take it and run with it. It was wonderful to see. And I'm Gavin Lee uh, from Mary Poppins. Uh, what am I? Uh, leading actor, leading actor in a musical. <laughs> well, it's exhilarating every night. Still, I've been doing the role for two years now because I play the role in London, and I still get a buzz when I first walk up the wall and then go upside down on the ceiling because um, you hear the gasps from the audience, and it's fantastic. It took a lot, a lot of rehearsal to learn how to do it and get over my fear of heights, but I've done that now, and uh, it's just a buzz every night. I obviously had very big. Um, shoes to fill with Dick Van Dyke, who is fantastic in the film. Um, but I think I'm lucky in the fact that we're not just doing um, a carbon copy of the film and putting it on stage. It's a very different story. Um, the creators went back to the original Mary Poppins books as well as taking the best bits from the film. So I'm, I'm, not, I'm not doing a Dick Van Dyke. I'm, I, it's a new Bert, I think, for, for 2000. And, uh, and I love playing it. I'm, I'm like the narrator and I get to talk to the audience as well as interact with all the actors on stage. It's fabulous. Well, I'm going to start by saying it's difficult for me to remember my name at this hour of the morning, particularly, but it is Christopher Plummer, and I am in Inherit the Wind. How much of your attraction to the show was getting the chance to work across Brian Dennehy? I'm sorry? Yes, I'm glad you mentioned Brian, who is absolutely wonderful in it. And I, I was asked to do it first, and Brian was whom I wanted in the play, and I'm so thrilled that he did it, because we needed a great stage actor, and he is. We didn't want a film actor, we wanted a stage actor, and, uh, and he's, he's just superb in it. And I'm sorry to say that he's not sharing this with me. I'm Laravel Bundy, I'm in Legally Blonde, and I play Elle Woods. As young as you are, you're already pretty much a veteran, and you started off, I believe, in Ruthless? Well, uh, my first show was the Christmas Spectacular at Radio City, but the first uh, leading role that I had was I was in a show called Ruthless, and I was 10. I took a break for high school, and uh, and obviously I've grown up, um, but it's it's been it's been great. Like I, I've done some film and television, but I know that in my heart that theater is is really what makes me feel alive, and I missed doing that. And this opportunity right now, being able to lead a company in a Broadway show that I love, a Broadway show that people love, that is that people are having a good time and actually getting something out of in a real way, is uh, it's the most satisfactory experience I've ever had. My name's Duncan Sheik, and uh, I'm with Spring Awakening, and uh, been nominated for Best Score and Best Orchestrations. You know, Elisa Gardner um, from USA Today, she called it post-rock, and that, that actually really works for me as a, as a simple description of the music, because there is rock music, but there are, there are stylistically many, many things that are going into the, the songs in the show, you know, whether it's folk music or classical music, and, and you know, music from electronic music, you know, th so there's all kinds of things that are kind of coming together to to create this kind of sound environment that we've that we've made, and um, I like post rock. Was there was there an adjustment you had to make from turning from a solo singer songwriter to working with Stephen Sater as a uh, collaborator? I mean, uh, you know, not so much working with Stephen because we had been writing songs together, and you know, it, Stephen's incredibly prolific. So, it, and and I write a lot of music, so it just allows you know, us to come up with a lot more material, and, and that's great. There was an adjustment in terms of working in the theater in general for me, because when I make a record, I'm kind of used to, you know, making it however I want, but, you know, doing a show, a theater piece is incredibly collaborative, and there's many people with many different agendas, and, you know, I, I kind of had to learn the hard way that, like, you've got, you know, you, you have to make sure that, that everyone in the room is going to be happy with the song.
My name is Liev Schreiber, and I am in Eric Bogosian's play, Talk Radio. I'm one of those people who thinks that Shakespeare is one of probably the most contemporary writers we have in the English language. But uh, for my money, uh, Eric is the same thing. There's something about the humanity of it. Uh, and I, I also think on top of that, anytime you write a play about media in America, you, you know, it's like, uh, it's like hitting the side of a barn. It's not that difficult. Yeah. Speaking of that, besides your contemporary turns as your Tony-winning role in Glengarry Glen Ross and this, you are kind of getting hung this this new King of Shakespeare in New York. And how does that feel to kind of be wielding that that mantle? You said it first. <laughs> oh, no, I've heard another part. I'm happy to take it. The new it. King of Shakespeare. That's very good. Oh, Eric just sat down. Eric, did you know that I was the King of Shakespeare? <laughs> That's nice. Yeah, I am the King of Shakespeare. You are the best actor. You could be my. Or something. No, no, stop that. <laughs> Hi, I'm Orfe, and I play Paulette in Legally Blonde the Musical, and I was most recently nominated for Best uh, Featured Actress in a Musical. <laughs> I have received a lot of buzz for this musical. It is it is unusual for a supporting role, but uh, I'm very, very grateful. And I think, I think really it's because I love Paulette so much. I love this character. I love playing her. She... She's so kind and warm, and, and it's really rubbed off on me. So, you know, I'm, I'm glad it happened. I know that's like the cheesy actor line, but it really has happened with this production. So I'm, I'm really grateful. Why the single name? Uh, why the single name? Because honestly, there were no other Orphes in school when I was growing up. So during roll call, they never bothered to use my last name. And then when I got a record deal uh, many years ago, Aftra joined me just as Orphe. And it stuck. And then I went and had it legally removed. So it really, and Orfe is my real birth given name, in case anyone was wondering. I am Raul Esparza, and I play Bobby in Company. I'm up for a leading best actor in a musical, in a leading role. You had a very fast rise, and uh, how did it feel to finally hit above the title on the song? Uh, it was incredible. I thought they were talking about somebody else to see Raul Esparza up there. I thought it was my dad or my grandfather. At the same time, um, it's an amazing experience, particularly that it's happening with this show, because I feel um, as though I have been accepted into something um, much greater. Uh, this is the top of the world for, for theater. There's nothing better than, than what we do on Broadway. This is as good as it gets. And to be in that position, to see your name up there, it uh, was a little bit of an outer body experience. And I just wanted to earn it, you know? I wanted to live up to it. You have a very fierce fan base. In fact, I'd say you're the most requested interview really? from all of our listeners on you're Broadway kidding. Bullet. <laughs> well, you know what it is? Uh, I think it's because I started uh, with Rocky Horror and those rock and roll shows. They'll get you every time. And then I went on to do Tick, Tick, Boom, Jonathan Larson's piece. And I became a surrogate voice for John Larson. And that play in particular, Tick, Tick, Boom, is a play about people who do not have a voice, people who are told they suck. And still, and we all feel this in the arts of nobody believes in you, but are you going to keep going? You know, are you going to keep trying? I think there's something about all of us coming up together. Uh, my fans, I feel like, started at the same time <laughs> I did. And I was doing plays that were speaking for us and for what we're living through. And now I'm doing Bobby, who's speaking for what we're living through now. So it's a nice combination. It's like uh, speaking for our own lives in my work. Congratulations. Thank you. Thanks. Thanks a lot. Thank you.
Well, that is a preview of our Tony Press Clusterfuck episode. I bet you never thought you'd hear the F-bomb drop quite so much associated with the Tonys, huh? But, um, like I said, the sound quality's uh, marginal, but the content is fantastic. And in addition to those ten people you heard from, you will also hear from Charlotte Dembois, Deborah Monk, Karen Ziemba, Stephen Sater, Rebecca Luker, Jerry Mitchell, Julie White, Larry O'Keefe, Douglas Carter-Bean, John Earl Jokes, Scott Frankel, and Michael Corey, and Dana Ivy. (laughs) You might want to catch it. Again, just check out for the feed. It'll be the second one down, or if you're getting this late, it's going to be right after the volume 115 feed in the Broadway bullet. The Call Board. Well, if you thought the Tony Award nominations were the only thing that happened this week and is happening, uh, you would be wrong. Announced this week, the New York Musical Theater Festival. Uh, Remember them? We started as an official podcast and will be again this year, just announced the 18 musicals to be presented in the 2007 Next Link project. You'll be hearing from most, if not all, of these shows. They are, drumroll please, The Angle of the Sun, Ostentatious, The Boy in the Bathroom, Going Down Swinging, The John Giovanni Radio Hour, Emma, Gemini, The Musical, Little Egypt, Look What a Wonder Jesus Has Done, Love Sucks, Mud Donahue and Son, Petite Rouge, Occasion Red Riding Hood, Sherlock Holmes, The Early Years, Such Good Friends, Sympathy Jones, The Family Fiorelli and How They Stayed One, The Yellow Wood, Tully in No Particular Order, and War Brides. Now, uh, the New York Musical Theater Festival is pleased to announce these 18 musicals. Uh, the 18 musicals announced today represent the slate of shows chosen from NIMF's open submission process called the Next Link Project. Approximately 20 other new musicals, in addition to the Next Link selections, will be announced later this summer. Having presented 99 musicals in the past three years, NIMF, in fact, will present its milestone 100th musical this fall prior to the start of this year's festival. Pretty impressive, huh? Also going on, uh, we have got the Opening Doors Theatre Company is doing a Just for Funds, a trio of fundraiser concerts with special guests. Uh, They're doing a fundraiser for the Duplex, and it will feature wall-to-wall music from theatre, cabaret, and award-winning original songs. The shows will feature ODTC members Suzanne Adams, Hector Chorus, Holly Leggett, and Eric Martin, as well as special guests each night. Also featured will be Bryce Birmingham, Desiree Davar, Rick Delancey, Deborah Thice Evans, Blaine Levin, Sarah Lilly, Rob Ventra, and special guests scheduled to appear include Gerard Salvador, Mandy Bruno, Kevin Reed, and acclaimed songwriter Georgia Stitt. I think you've heard of her. She's been on. And uh, a lot more. There's just tons going on. Tickets are $15 and a two-drink minimum. And uh, you help. Support a performing arts ensemble committed to developing an eclectic mix of programming through the artistic collaboration of performers, as well as playwrights, composers, directors, and designers, and providing opportunities for new talent to be seen and heard. ODTC was created and formed in 2006 by Suzanne Adams. And then also going on at the duplex as well is the Manhattan Association of Cabarets and Clubs. Cabaret as theater, theater as cabaret. They are proud to announce their next seminar on this topic, exploring the origins of shows like Nonsense, Musical, Jock Brell, and others that have gone to off-Broadway, regional, and even international success. The seminar will also explore the use of the cabaret venue for non-traditional cabaret performance. There's a lot going on with this, so if you want to find out more, visit www.macnyc.com. On the Boards.
Well, the proscenium stage can often be viewed as a window into the theatrical world, and the chronological secrets of Tim takes it a step further by putting a character in a window for the whole play. We have the director, Sarah Ali, and the writer, Janet Zarekor, here with us today. How are you guys doing? Hey, how are you? Thanks. First off, Janet, I guess, what is this show about, and why did you come to write it? The Chronological Secrets of Tim is a show about Tim, who just turned 30, um, and his girlfriend for his birthday dumps him. And Happy birthday. Happy birthday, because <laughs> she finds out that he's really a scumbag. Um, and so it's the end of the world for Tim, who was just changing his ways for this woman, and he threatens to throw himself out of his New York apartment window. And his best friend, ex-girlfriend, now turned lesbian, comes over and tries to talk him out of the window. And when he won't get out, she begins to read his diary aloud to him to get him out of the window, because she knows it's very private, and it would hopefully get him back in the apartment. Um, and then his ex-girlfriend as of today comes over and also tries to help get him out of the window and they go on this journey of finding out how long they've all known each other and also really getting to know what's wrong with all of them and it's it goes it's a dark comedy it doesn't ever sound like it when I'm describing it but it is <laughs> it involves a lot of laughs and a lot of looking back and soul searching so what inspired you to write this show well, my good friend uh, Matt Stevens used to. I used to go to Yankees games with him all the time, and he's got a fabulous sense of humor. It's very dry. Uh, it's just I. I just spent most of my afternoons in tears, and so I. I really wanted to write something for him, and the idea of having someone in a window um, during the course of a show was really very interesting to me, and what it would take to talk someone off of a ledge, essentially. When the, you come to that moment in your life when you think everything's over and done with, it's what it takes to get you out of the window is a very interesting concept to me. And I can't write anything serious, so I knew it had to be funny. <laughs> so, Sarah, what kind of challenges were involved for you directing a, a guy who remains in a window the whole show? Well, I think the first thing was placement um, as far as the set, where do you put the window, um, you know, so that we have the biggest playing field possible so that he can be as, you know, physically interesting as possible. Um, and then a, man, a matter of, you know, making sure that the other actors aren't being upstaged and spending the entire show with their back to the audience. So that's blocking was a huge, huge undertaking. Um, and just, you know, keeping the energy going. He's not sitting in the window for the entire show because we do kind of a, a flashback dream sequence series of events and so he does you know come in and out of the window so that that helps kind of introduce him physically to everyone because a lot of the time he's sitting with his back turned so it gets interesting now sarah how did you come to start working with uh janet and the impetuous theater group i started working with impetuous uh back in 2004 i literally moved to new york on election day it was a sad day for me. And um, <laughs> and within a week, had started working on their their first production, um, which was Venezuela. Um, it was a U.S. premiere uh, production, and I assistant directed that production for their, their first show as well as at the New York Fringe Festival. And um, Janet is the company manager for Impetuous, and so we became friends um, and have worked uh, together on other projects and actually have worked on Tim for the past year. She actually read the part of Alexandra first so it was very exciting to me when she said she would direct it because I knew nobody 
aside from maybe Matt, loved it as much as um, they did. True. <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah, I, I, I was working on it as an actor and then was asked to direct it. Thought it would be a, a great way to bring those two things together. So what was kind of the developmental process for the show then over the past year? Over the past year, we had a the first thing that we did, we did a, um, <clears throat> a staged reading of the piece. Um, you know, as fully realized as possible with scripts in your hand. Um, and then Janet went back and rewrote the script again. And then we had a series of workshops just sitting down with actors and a, a couple of writing consultants. and For four weeks. For yeah. four weeks. Um, and the the artistic director of Impetuous um, and went through. And once a week we met, read the script, talked about things that we thought might be an issue, technically, acting-wise, all those things. And then... Uh, Janet would rewrite the script every week. Um, and then we've been rehearsing for four and a half weeks. All of this is coming to a head as you open the show. and uh, <laughs> Yeah, Friday. <laughs> How many shows have you put on uh, before that you've written, Janet? Um, I did two in college. Um, and I've had a, been in quite a few of the series, our reading series for Impetuous. I had another piece read this uh, last February. Um, I also wrote for our 4759 Play Festival a little piece called Drunken Lesbian Homebuilding. Um, and I've been writing since birth. So it's as soon as I was able to hold a pen, I've been writing. So th- this being my first full New York production is is mind-blowing. Must be exciting. It is. It's very exciting. I mean, it's something that I always want to do. Um, and so to get it up there and, and see it happen is, yeah, I'm going to be a nervous wreck come Friday. And where is school for the two of you? I went to Carnegie Mellon University. And I went to the neighboring, it it actually almost went to Carnegie Mellon, which is a funny thing, but then I ended up going to Dickinson College, so which is in Pennsylvania, it's about an hour drive from her. What were kind of your favorite things you got out of your classes at school? I did an improv comedy for three years, so that was my all-time favorite thing. I learned more from improv than I did from any class, I have to say. But I did enjoy the opportunity to, I mean, I could write plays and pull together a staged reading or a full production in no time, on no budget, because there were so many resources available to us, and that was also very exciting. I've taken a huge turn. I majored in musical theater. so. (laughs) (laughs) And you're directing comedies. Now I'm directing comedies (laughs) and, uh, you know, working on the other side of the business in my everyday life, which is kind of odd. Um, But it's... I, I, you know, I learned a lot. I, I learned a lot as a performer. I have to say, I, I almost learned a lot more once I graduated. It was a, an amazing because it's a conservatory program. It's very intense. You're in one building for four years, and you only know drama students, and you don't take classes outside of that. So it's, it was very intensive, and I think my, you know, my range as as an actor, and you know what I was capable of. In, in the business grew so much from school, just from taking classes, you know, about the business of the business and, um, you know, a lot of vocal work, which was really cool. I'm always curious as to what certain people are doing because directing and writing in, in New York is definitely a job where you have to be make yourself pretty flexible because at certain times you're very busy and you need to do a lot of work and then other times you got nothing going on. So I'm curious how you uh, manage to juggle your lives and in, in your, I'm assuming, your day job to 
Mm -hmm. allow AOL instant messenger yeah it's a beautiful thing we're on it all day (laughs) (laughs) on all day all day constantly like I literally cannot stop emailing I'm I am in constantly I'm blessed with my day job that even though I'm working I can be kind of working on this too let's hope your employers don't take a listen to this episode <laughs> oh they know oh they yeah they know <laughs> it, it's funny because i've worked for the same company in, in various different facets for seven years now um and actually on the west coast and on the east coast and most recently my career has become application training so i train people probably you know three to five days a week um and, you know, they ask me what my hobby is, and I tell them, you know, they, they all I had to do is Google my name, and they would find out that, you know, I've acted in this, and I've written this, and I've, you know, directed this piece, and I've done this over here, and I, you know, the whole time I'm producing. And they're very understanding about that. They don't really, as long as it's not affecting my work, it's right. fine. Yeah. The beauty of it has been that because I've been directing it, the rehearsal schedule is based on my work schedule. <laughs> <laughs> So, you know, it had to be in the evening because I get off work at 6. Yeah. <laughs> that's it. So now, where and when is this playing and how can people get tickets? Um, it's playing at Access Gallery. It's not the black box. It's the gallery space. Just to make sure that's On clear. the fourth floor. On the fourth comfy floor. Comfy shoes. It's Broadway and white. Mm-hmm. And they can get tickets on brown paper tickets. It is going to be playing from May 18 to June 3rd, and there'll be 15 performances in there. All right. Well, I know it's a, a very busy time for you. As as we record this, you're opening in a couple days. So. <laughs> yeah, we start tech tomorrow. It's be crazy. <laughs> so We're moving thanks. on to another project as well right after that. So yeah. It's kind of insane. That's always good, though. Absolutely. <laughs> okay, well, good luck with the run, and thanks for stopping down. Thank, Thank you. you. On the positive side. Hey, it's Marty Cooper once again on the positive side, and... On this very special day, no, it's not Christmas, it's not Thanksgiving. It's the day the Tony nominations were announced. And my guest on this podcast is Broadway Bullets' Michael Gilbo. Hey! <laughs> How you doing? Good, I know you've wanted to do a discussion for a while. I thought this was a, a great time to kibitz. <laughs> yeah, kibitz, kibitz. <laughs> <Okay>. <laughs> so the big thing I have to say is, if you made an effort and got on... Broadway Bullet, you got nominated for Best Musical. We've got interviews with all four of the nominees, and you know what? Those are the only new musicals we've touched. So it's a curse. The snubs came from people who didn't come on our show. Legally Blonde, snubbed. We'll talk more about that, but they weren't on our show. Harold Prince, snubbed. He's director for Love Music, not on our show. He always gets nominated. <laughs> yeah, and he was snubbed. See, this is the curse and the benefit. Kristen Chenoweth, many thought was a shoe in for Best Actress nomination. Snubbed, not on our show. So what does this tell you? Get on Broadway Bullet, right? <laughs> I'm on Broadway Bullet, and I'm happy to be this week. We're going to attack Best Musical first. Oh. Well, first of all, i got to say, everyone out there, as yourself knows, I love Pirate Queen. Totally snubbed. For High Fidelity gets nominated for Best Set. <laughs> But a you know, show that closed uh, 
after five performances. Yes, I agree. It's it's a pretty uh, evil snub, but you know, High Fidelity did have some very very cool sets. People yeah. were singing the set walking out of that show. Yeah. Well, I unfortunately missed it because after hearing the album, I probably would have wanted to see it. I don't know about Curtains. I I enjoyed Curtains a lot. Wasn't the greatest. It had its problems, and to me, uh, nominating Curtains over Legally Blonde is kind of a snub. But of course, as you <laughs> it's say, the curse. As we're going to set this myth up. You come on Broadway Bullet, you get nominated. <laughs> or more aptly, you don't come on, and your chances diminish greatly. <laughs> My prediction for Best Musical is Spring Awakening. Uh, I, in fact, think we're going to have kind of a Spring Awakening blitz because it's the one show everybody loved. You yeah. know. I, I, I agree. I think it's got a strong chance, but I think what just emerged as a very strong underdog is Grey Gardens. Okay. okay. I actually think Grey Gardens is the underdog to beat here because the voters could go for Grey Gardens and they could still vote for something that's new, artistic, and edgy, but a little bit more family and mainstream friendly than Spring Awakening. If they mm -hmm. mount their campaign smartly, I think Grey Gardens could really surge to be the, the front runner in this. I, of course, have a favorite. I think P P Poppins I love, but I don't know if the voters will go for Disney. I was actually surprised it got nominated for Best Musical because uh, they usually don't go along the Disney lines. Well, it wasn't my thing, but... Yeah. <laughs> I think... I'm a big uh, fan of Daniel Jenkins. Well, well, <laughs> it wasn't my show. Well, if you love theme parks and everything like that, like myself... You're going to like Mary Poppins. So. And, and, I guess, and Bob Crowley did a great job on the sets. And I have to applaud Bob Crowley getting nominated for three Tony nominations, getting uh, Best Set Design and Costume Design from Mary Poppins and Best Set Design from Coast Utopia. So definitely so, kudos to him. So there you are, folks. I I think Spring Awakening. Uh, Michael thinks Grey Gardens. I think uh, it's going to be a horse race. I'm, I'm not willing to call it, but I think Grey Gardens could, could make the, the leap. Which is odd that the probably the two favorite shows are off-Broadway transfers, and they're both dark. Neither show is really everybody's cup of tea, but... You know, I, I think the important thing about that is that they fill a gap. There's a lot of successful shows on Broadway right now, and I think what's happened is they've filled a gap that's not there. Yeah, yeah. and usually uh, the small, unexpected thing happens, you know, uh, come around Tony time. Ever since having a cue, it seems to be. Yeah. And <laughs> <laughs> I know you wanted to discuss what you think is a snub in Best Revival of a Musical and all over. Oh, Les Mis. <laughs> Les Mis. But I, to admit, uh, a lot of people, if you ask the average citizen, they'll say, did it ever close? Yeah, you know, yeah. so I think then just the voters, just in their mind, even though it was eligible, just said, oh, it's it was just on hiatus for... Uh, the line around the block proves that it's still a crowd pleaser and I think it will remain so for quite a while. So we're going to Best Actress in a Musical. Sure. We uh, knew this was going to be rough. I probably would vote for Miss Bundy for Legally Blonde, but I know, I, I know the award is probably engraved already and Christine Ebersole will probably win. Christine Ebersole gave a performance that in any year should be a winning performance. Yeah. Just the opening of Act two is worth the price of admission you know and uh she gets to play such a diverse two such well-formed characters which those kind of well-formed characters you even rarely see in musical theater and she gets to play two of them it's uh, it's a shoo-in you know as far as best featured actor my favorite of all of these is probably robert gallagher 
uh, yeah. from Spring Awakening. Uh, I, I, you know, same kind of thing as Christina Ebersole. I didn't see the others, but as soon as I saw him in Spring Awakening, I was already like kind of sending psychic vibes to him that he should start preparing his speech. Yeah, I, yeah, he's uh, and he's probably the oldest of the yeah. young people in the show. I think he's twenty three. Yeah, I, uh, I think he's got some me. of the best material in the show, and he and he plays it for all it's worth. Just his look at the opening of the show when he's being scolded and everything is great. Did we hit actor in a musical? No, we didn't. You know, I have to say personally, I think that was the least interesting category this year, even going in. We we knew it was going to be a boring list. Yeah. I knew it was, and it's going to come down to Raul Esparza and David Hyde Pierce, and Jonathan Groff was solid, but the role itself wasn't, you know, that flashy or meaty. I, I haven't seen Michael Service, but he seems to always win. I loved Raul and company. I thought he was great. I know you love Gavin Lee, too. and Oh, I forgot about him also. <laughs> I, I just have to say, I didn't dislike him, but as much as you were raving him earlier on in, in the episodes, I was expecting to love him. And to me, he actually, even though he's the original that came over from London, he struck me as like a very competent replacement. As far as... I didn't get a lot of star quality out of him, at least the night I was there. He, he probably works the hardest of all those Oh, I'm people. sure he does. <laughs> and, and maybe I caught him on an off night, but I just, I didn't sense that star voltage yeah, with him. Yeah, Okay, we're going to featured actress in a musical. My favorite featured actress of all time is Rebecca Luger. Uh, but I have another favorite here, Orfe. And I am kind of torn... Uh, Karen Ziemba always wins. She's won once. She doesn't always win. She's always nominated. Well, it this always seems category. she's up there. This is her category, <laughs> Best Featured Actress in a Musical, the Karen Ziemba Award. Uh, <laughs> I have to tell you a funny story. Uh, what show did she win for? Was it... Uh, she won for Contact. And the year she won and she accepted her award, she and my wife had the same dress on, you know, which I thought was kind of funny. And my wife said, she's wearing my dress. It was the same dress. <laughs> Let's face it. This is Mary Louise Wilson's prize. Yeah, I, th I think she'll, I think she'll get. She's it. you know an esteemed older actress, and in a show that's running away with a lot of critical esteem, it's hers. Yeah. Well, best direction of a musical is probably you know, that's the thing is, is it going to be Michael Grief or Michael Mayer, both previous winners, both titans, and you know, I think that award is going to give an advance notice to where the prize is going for best musical. I I think Michael Mayer is going to going to get it. That show is more of a director's piece where where th Greg Gardens is an actor's show and as I long as they cast the right actors, the director kind of could sit back and go, wow. And and, and and I think Greg Gardens is, offbeat as it is, is a lot more of a traditional musical. It does have its songs and dances. That's, again, that's exactly the reason why it's got both things going for it. It's a traditional musical and it's and it's got the artistic edginess that can allow the voters to say, we didn't ignore Spring Awakening because we aren't hip. We're going for score. In my opinion, as much as I've differed before, I think Grey Gardens is going to win for best score. You know, I'd it, like it, to see my friend Mr. O'Keefe win for Legally Blonde. And it's a wonderful score because there's umpty-um songs in that show, just one song after the other. But I, I think, my prediction is, Grey Gardens is going to win. For me, it's a hard call between, I think, Grey Gardens and Spring Awakening are both very well-done, competent, entertaining, different shows. And, I, you know, I mean, it's it's great to have them both this season. I said that director's going to be a bellwether. I think the, I think it's a combination. If you see Spring Awakening or Grey Gardens, both either one of them both win director and score, 
Yeah. That's that's where the best musical statues go in that night. If it's split, it's any anybody still calls still for best musical? I think Curtains is a wonderful show, but I think, do, do, my opinion, I think it's a very undistinguished score for... Do we think Curtains takes home anything? I think... I had my favorite, but I think David Hyde Pierce is going to... Yeah, that's right. Yeah, that's probably going to make that stand. I wish I could talk more about the plays. I'm not, I mean, I enjoy plays and not plays not, but I haven't seen many of them this year. I mean, I will say again, one of the few that's sent for the interviews, you know, Corum Boy, second most nominations for a play, no best play nod, though. From what I've heard about Corum Boy, they were actually eligible for score. Yep. Musical, which is so there's, weird. There's tons of music in it. Tons is there a live orchestra? Yes. Oh. It's a live orchestra. There's 20-person choir going on like half of the show. It's okay. Corn Boy's almost a musical. Yeah, yeah. I want to change this topic for one minute. I saw a great show last weekend at Encores with Kristen Chenoweth, Kevin Chamberlain. It needs to come to Broadway. It's called Stairway to Paradise. Just a wonderful, wonderful show. I saw it twice. I saw the dress rehearsal on Wednesday and we went Sunday afternoon. I got to say, if... That was eligible for a Tony. That would blow a lot of things out of the water. It was absolutely great. I don't know if anybody read the reviews. They bubbled over it totally. Just wanted to put my two cents in on that. That's all. If you have any opinions or if you have any ideas for what you might like to hear me talk about, uh, email me at broadwaymarty, one word, at AOL.com. Once again, this is Marty Cooper saying stay on the positive side. On the Positive Side is brought to you by The Colony, online at colonymusic.com or in the heart of the theater district at 49th and Broadway. You can always say, I found it at The Colony. On the boards. All right, with us in the studio today, we have Carrie Curran, uh, possibly better known as Carrie from the Cock in certain neighborhoods, and that is what she's ended up titling her one-woman show, and she's here with us in the studio. How are you doing? Great. How are you? Good. Maybe for uh, our listeners who you know aren't from very close by, maybe <laughs> explain what the Carrie from the Cock connection is. Well, the Cock is a gay bar, pretty infamous actually as being like the sleaziest gay bar there is. I think it's held together with. <laughs> well, anyway, it's um, it's known for. We used to call it like meat sweat because the windows would be like steamy, you know, with like desperation, kind of at the end of the night. Um, but kind of anything goes there. It's a crazy gay bar in that way. And, you know, it seems like time stops and the new New York doesn't really exist there, you know, with all the laws. And you have fun again. So how did you end up with the name Carrie from the Cock? Oh, well, you know the song, Jenny from the Block. That song came out and I'm a big fag hag. And so my friends just kind of put it on me, you know. It wasn't my fault. They're like, you're Carrie from the Cock. And it just stuck. And in fact, you then ended up using that and rewriting that for a song in the production? I, in fact, did. Don't sue me, J-Lo. <laughs> Children growing, women producing, men go working, soldiers stealing, everyone's got to make a living. C-O-X, yeah. C-O-X, yeah. Terry Curran, yeah. C-A-R-Y, as in grand. Her ass is so hot, makes the straight boys pant like the dogs they are. She was on vacation during the gentrification. The cars closed and reopened at a new location. Carrie's too busy now to fluze on the bar and take off a top. She's got a Pilates class, a colorist appointment, needs more time to shop. But she wants you to know she's still here, yo. Carrie from the cock, yo. Your fag head, yo. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm still, I'm still.
putting the show together. What is Carrie from the Cock about other than It's about me. Um <laughs> it's, a, <laughs> it's about I mean it, it kind of is. It's you know, it's my life. It's my story. I have, you know, a million funny stories and I basically just started out with like, a, you know, a bunch of piles and I just I just worked on all these favorite stories of mine, these real life incidents and then started working its way into a a show and I started to see this through line and the through line was really just um, like about accepting yourself and being who you are e- even if you're weird even if you're not the acceptable kind of woman the normal kind of woman you know you do things that like some people would be like oh but that's not how a lady should act you know it's uh, just be yourself whoever you are and so I I give you like some history of where I came from who I am, what I'm kind of known for now, um, and where I'm going, and, you know, just the fact that I always 
more than anything, you know, I'm always happiest on stage and performing. And so, you know, but uh, there's also the whole climate of New York now and, you know, what's going on with all the weird building and everything, you know, with, I don't know, I, I lost track of myself <laughs> for a second. <laughs> now, what's some of the performing that you've done before putting together the show? I, um, I'm in a theater company called Big Art Group, and we went, um, traveled all over Europe for like three years, and I just stopped working with them to do this solo show. I just felt like I needed to, you know, branch out, but it was an amazing opportunity. We like, we created all these shows together, and it was really exciting, and, um, you know, we started off with Crane downtown, and then PS122, and then we got picked up, and, you know, my first paycheck you know, after being an actor for 10 years in New York, came to me in France, <laughs> <laughs> where you get treated like a rock star when you're an actor and you don't have to, like, change in a bathroom, convert it into a dressing room, you know? Oh, yeah, you get flowers and chocolates and showers and everyone has their own dressing table. And, you know, we're doing avant-garde theater and we're like rock stars. There are traffic jams in Rome, you know, to see our show. People would recognize us on the street and, like, they'd be throwing roses. I mean, it's just like you hear about it. It's all true. <laughs> it's amazing, like, how you get treated there. You so I did Big Art Group, sorry, and I, I wrote a couple of my own shows. I, um, I did a, um, a movie, Wonder Woman Battle with the Basher, about Wonder Woman fighting fag bashing in New York. That was about 10 years ago, and that won Best Short Film in Brazil and went all over the country. And that, So I had done two of these shows with my friend Brian and then did the Big Art Group thing and also worked with a company called Eavesdrop. Just did a show in Baltimore at the Baltimore Theater Project, and now, and I'm doing this. So I just said one of the big themes that you deal with in the show is uh, kind of your battle with your uh, strict Catholic upbringing. That's right. <laughs> so have you invited your family to see the show yet? No. <laughs> but um, I, it's... list the things that your family would disapprove of in the show. <laughs> oh my goodness! Well, Joseph, the uh, leather daddy. He's really dirty. He's got such dirty mouth. I don't think they'd appreciate that. Then there's a section where um, I, I actually I, I I see it as more of an homage. I met Mother Teresa, and when I was um, like 13 or 14, and um, this Catholic camp called Awakenings in Estes Park, Colorado, and I hugged her. Like I was like one of five kids who got to hug her, and there's actually a video of it. And my mom won't give it to me because she says that. Um, I'm going to use it for sacrilegious purposes. <laughs> and so, like, after all this, all these years, I've been trying to get this videotape. And I finally, finally trick her into giving it to me, and she can't find it. It's lost. I'm just like, oh. But anyway, and then the funny thing is I go into this big dance. I'm like, Mama T, this is for you. And I do this big dance to Air Supply because that was the one rock tape I was allowed to have growing up because... Uh, someone convinced my mom they were Christian. And <laughs> Who so I convinced did this. you they were rock? <laughs> exactly. That was my only idea of what rock might be. Isn't that sad? <laughs> so I do this all-out dance to, you know, to making love out of nothing at all. But, uh, you know, I'm saying it's from Mother Teresa, and there's, like, some combined liturgical dancing that gets more and more kind of sexual through the dance. And um, I guess they wouldn't approve of that, but... I don't really mean, you know, any, um, I mean, I really liked meeting Mother Teresa and all that. I don't really mean it in a bad way, but but I, they'd still disapprove. They'd disapprove of that. And um, then I play the piano in a section. And Your parents would disapprove of you playing piano. No, it's what I sing. <laughs> <laughs> 
My mom used to like just Did call Kevin me. Bacon come wandering through your town and want to dance. <laughs> it was like that exactly. Yeah, footloose totally. So I guess my mom, you know, used to say things like, you know, you're you're a whore. Like you look great if you want to get raped. You know, stuff like that. And so I put it all into a song, and I sing all these things she used to say to me. And so that moment is like kind of the poignant sad moment where people are like oh that would just make them sad I think more than anything I would invite them I, I don't care about the um, them being offended by any of that other stuff I'd be like well get over it but I wouldn't want to make them feel sad so that's the struggle I'm having right now because they know about the show now getting so a lot now, of press so. as you're kind of hinting you mix this all up with you know monologues acting singing dancing character changes it's a kind of and multimedia even and multimedia even even <laughs> Maybe even live feed by next week if we get it going. <laughs> In this little small section. Yeah, it's a, uh, I don't really... I think that's one thing that's kind of different about this solo show than most one-woman shows. I don't do, like, 42 characters, 20 different accents. I don't do that. I'm, I'm myself all the time. Once in a while, I'll talk about things or... Except for, you know, with the exception of Joseph, this Leather Daddy character, which is uh, pre-recorded. And it's like in a silhouette, kind of. Um, with the exception of that, I don't really... Um, and that's still me. You know, that's me acting like this, you know, 70s gay guy, leather guy. So I really don't do all these other characters. I think that's what kind of makes my show different and stronger, because I think sometimes that stuff is a little annoying. Well, let's listen to one of the original songs from the show. You want to... Does this need, need any setup here? This song, I asked my friend Mark Stephen Campbell... Um, to, to write something for me that had to do with all these things. And I just was like, the funny thing about this is that this whole song is done in a hot dog suit because I say, like, all of a sudden I have my beautiful opening number dress on and I get a phone call and I'm told that since Grace Papaya sponsored the show, I have to wear the hot dog suit or they'll pull the funding. And I'm like, oh, my God. So I'm wearing this totally sequined hot dog suit through the whole number, which makes it pretty hilarious. And then you kind of laugh at yourself so it's not like, this desperate, I want fame, it's more like, what a joke. There's a lot in my life I'm grateful for, much in my life that's good. My friends, my work, my health, knock on wood, knock on wood. There's a lot in my life that's wonderful, that much I can concede. Only one thing's missing, one thing I want, one thing I need. A little fame, a little renown Beyond the six or seven blocks I'm known in this town A little fame to feel its embrace And all the fucked up things about my life would fall into place It must be nice to live in people's sphere Why does it elude me year after year after year after year after year? And why does Hillary Duff have a career? A little fame, or more than a bit A little's not enough to make you feel like you're legit A lot of fame, and pile on some more And look, it's me, the biggest, richest Are the rumors true, Carrie? Flash, flash! And who's the designer, Carrie? Flash, flash! Miss Carrie! 
Lauren, it's Lagerfeld on the line. Do you like my lipstick? I'm a triple threat. Actor, singer, dancer. Knee deep in fame and all looking awe at me in every kind of glossy from hello to hola. Shitting fame And the whole world is mine And all you lesser people Come to worship me at my shrine Seven blocks I'm known in this town A little fame To feel its embrace And all the fucked up things About my life Would fall Into place You call yourself the most famous fag hag In New York? Is that what? Premier fag hag The premier fag hag in New York (laughs) (laughs) I mean, you know. So can fag hags take comfort in this? Are they going to Oh, they're going to love find it. a new empowerment? I hope so. I totally hope so. Like, I've never, you know, had an issue with, or maybe I did years ago. I can't remember. But I've never had an issue with the name. You know, it's just like fag. It, like, of course, it depends, you know, where it's coming from and who's saying it. But, um, but I think fag hags are going to love this show because instead of them just being you know, the accessory to the gay man. It's more like the gay man is an accessory to her, you know, or gay men, plural, you know, because it's like they need, there's so many things. A good hag has so many jobs, you know. You have to be a cock block. You have to, like, look hot. You have to be fabulous. People want to gather around you, you know, all those things. So where can people catch the show? At the Gene Frankel Theater. And uh, that is on Bond Street, 24 Bond Street, between Lafayette and Bowery. It seats like 74, so I recommend getting tickets ahead of time at smartticks.com. It's running three weeks, so you have six more chances to see the show. All right. Well, thanks for coming down and chatting with us, Carrie, and thanks for, for sharing the songs from the show. And best of luck with your run. Absolutely. Thank you. Curtain call. Well, that wraps up our jam-packed Tony nomination issue. (laughs) I tell you, it was a lot of crazy work getting stuff edited and put together this fast for everybody with all this special content. I want to give an extra special thanks to uh, our intern, Victoria Myers, who was on the scene helping all day today during the uh, press clusterfuck. (laughs) And I also want to thank Dimitri Russell, who uh, helped so much in getting these interviews edited, both for this show and for the very special episode, which again, check that out. It's the... uh, 
Tony nominee press clusterfuck issue where you're going to hear from um, it's a total of 23 Tony nominees, 18 interviews in total. It's just a lot of great stuff if you're really deep into theater. The sound quality is marginal, but there's a lot of interesting stuff in there. So be sure to check that out if you would like. Uh, hopefully we're going to be talking to some more of the Tony nominees uh, in the next couple episodes leading up to the Tonys. I will definitely be on the red carpet and backstage at the Tony press room talking to people after the Tonys themselves. So we've got some very interesting coverage coming up. And of course, as always, we'll still be talking to the best of off-off-Broadway and off-Broadway as well. So thanks for tuning in. Uh, I'm your host, Michael Gilbo. And once again, thanks for hopping on board the Broadway Bullet. I wouldn't want it to be too perfect every night. It is live after all. If I see one more Christmas carol regionally, that Dickens hey. has made enough money in the up. Many minutes trying to sell myself. No shame. But we kept all the jokes that made people laugh from before. Until the ones that did it. Because rent is about much more than just friendship, love, and musical theater. It was about something that shook center it sounds very huge and elevated and that's what it feels like like once you're working there And I've talked to thousands of artists. All of this told me that a new style of theater major was needed. Theater majors can get a pretty good arts education just about anywhere. But most programs do very little to prepare actors, directors, playwrights, technicians, producers, etc. to manage their careers. When you go into the arts, you are your own business. And you need to manage that to strategically plan for your career to grow. If you've listened to many of these interviews, you know you need to be self-starters to create your own opportunities. I'm going to make sure you are ready for that world. You'll get a ton of opportunities as an undergraduate. Actors will act, even as freshmen. Designers will design shows right away. Playwrights will see their shows mounted. Directors will direct. Producers will handle shows from inception to execution. Outstanding guest artists will conduct workshops, and outstanding students will even work on this podcast and travel to New York with me for interview weeks. And, if that isn't enough, we've got an amazing program that will pay all or part of your student loan payments, even private loans, if you are earning less than $40,000 six months after graduation. That is an invaluable option that lets you pursue your passion in theater with less financial pressure. If interested, and I hope you are, Go to broadwaybullet.com. I'd love to help you launch your career.